Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm working hard on this campaign. If I sit and get distracted and watch TV all day long, like apparently Governor Pritzker does, I lose focus. I mean, I would too. I would lose focus too. (laughs) Don't watch those reruns. And I'll give you a, a little advice, uh, DB. Don't go that down that YouTube rabbit hole, all right? I was watching old Roddy Dangerfield uh, bits on YouTube for about a half an hour yesterday. You don't want to go there. You want to keep that focus, all right, as you uh, lead uh, our state toward destruction. Anyway, I didn't mean to go there. Sorry, D, I apologize. That's all right. November 8th, Election Day coming up. All right, your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, November 1st, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, what kind of suits to wear. I like your suits. Maybe not what suits to wear, but so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can, chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. It is Tuesday, November 1st, and this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hey, hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Twitter Musketeers Tuesday, and here's why. Yeah, but you figured out why. I got Elon Musk on my mind. I got his Twitter acquisition on my mind. And I know, ladies and gentlemen, I know, I know, I know. I shouldn't pay attention to these things. But I mean, they're like hugely consequential events in the world. And I'm, I'm always being lectured, don't pay attention to them. Sort of like the, the yay West the yay west controversy people stop giving him attention uh hello the man's got 50 million followers on his various social media platforms he's already gaining attention i'm not supposed to pay attention to sort of the the rantings of yay west all right okay dutifully noted lefties only want me to pay attention just pay attention to economics issues so i'm not supposed to pay attention to elon musk and twitter but I am paying attention to it because I think there's some great lessons that we can learn in it uh, about capitalism. Yes, capitalism. And uh, I am a capitalist of sorts. I live in the United States of America. Uh, my future is contingent on capitalism surviving. Every And you are too, folks. All your retirement benefits are linked to capitalism, the stock market, et cetera. If capitalism collapses as we know it, you'll be in the cor- You'll be in the alley eating gruel. That's what you'll be doing. Okay, so I just hate to say it. We're all capitalists in one way or another. But man, oh man, the unbridled maneuvers of capitalists, they're just painful to watch. Let's just take it through. 
uh, Elon Musk here, ladies and gentlemen, world's richest man. Uh, he's built a fortune uh, largely on the fact that he controls a company uh, that builds electric cars. As I like to point out, electric cars are it's an industry heavily subsidized by the government. The government effectively gives you an incentive to buy an electric car over any other kind of car on the grounds that it's beneficial to the environment. And this is a liberal initiative. I could call it progressive, but I prefer to use the old-fashioned terms. This is a liberal initiative. This is very popular with liberals who sort of subscribe to the notion that if we don't do something uh, to eliminate the infusion of pollutants into our environment, we'll destroy the world as we know it. And so that effectively is the reason for the policy to give an incentive to companies like Elon Musk's that produce electric cars. But for reasons I cannot fathom, Elon Musk has decided to counterattack liberals. So it's like liberals are feeding his empire, but he hates liberals. So he has joined this free speech campaign uh, where he reserves the right to say whatever he wants on Twitter about absolutely anybody else without consequences because it should be a free speech safety zone. Meanwhile, there is no free speech for his employees. I've noted this before in the past. Elon Musk is very domineering when it comes to his employees. They are per- forbidden pretty much from saying anything negative about him on Twitter. So he can say negative things about anybody on Twitter, but they can't say negative things about him on Twitter. Are you following this, ladies and gentlemen? To quote Dennis's aunt, or I think it was his aunt, free speech for me, but not for thee. That's Elon Musk. So somehow or other, in the middle of trash talking, he proposed to buy Twitter. I'm not quite sure if he was sincere when he made that uh, notion that he wanted to buy Twitter. I think he just was tweaking Twitter, trolling Twitter, joining the chorus that somehow or other Twitter, which is utterly freaking chaos at any given time, uh, was right. That is sort of motivating principle behind Elon Musk's uh, attempts to buy Twitter that somehow or other Twitter is unfair to the right. Uh, and so he was going to buy Twitter and make it free, free speech, which of course he doesn't believe in free speech when it comes to his employees. So I presume that Twitter under Musk would be free speech for Nazi white supremacists, Nazis, white supremacists, but not for his employees. So anyway, he offered some ungodly amount of money for Twitter, which was way more than it was worth, then realized it was way more than what it's worth. And so pulled back his offer. Twitter said, oh, no, we're not playing that game. And they sued him. Yeah, the case was coming, working its way to trial. And the judge in that case had made a series of rulings that pretty much signaled to Musk and his lawyers that they were going to lose this case. And that ultimately they would not only have to pay all those legal fees to fight this case, they would have to pay the full market cost, what they had offered Twitter to buy the company. So he backed away and completed the deal, paid an ungodly $44 billion for a company that's worth far less to raise that money. He borrowed a lot of money to Raise the money to pay back the loan. Guess what he's proposing to do? Fire his employees. This is capitalism 101. And my guest, Troy LaRavie, knows what I'm talking about. You don't have enough money to pay back the loan because you overpaid for the product. 
So instead of digging into your reserves, the man is the world's richest man. Instead of just going into his bank account where he's got like $75 billion. Oh no, he's going to fire thousands and thousands of employees. And guess who picks up the tab, ladies and gentlemen, when you fire thousands and thousands of employees, you, the taxpayer, (laughs) because they're going to be filing thousands and thousands of unemployment claims. So the man overpays to make up the money that he owes the bankers. He fires employees. You pick up the the unemployment claims. Meanwhile, he has this issue of advertisers. Twitter is largely dependent on advertisers. They don't have enough advertisers to pay all their bills. And as soon as Elon Musk took over and said he was going to uh, turn it into a free uh, speech zone, the Nazis came back. People dropping the uh, N-word left and right came back. He's going to bring Donald Trump back. All of a sudden, the advertisers are like, we don't want to be associated with this garbage. We don't want anything to do with it now. General Motors pulled out as an advertiser. So he assures, he assures the advertisers, no, 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 no. I'm just not going to allow this to become a free zone, chaos. and uh-uh. I'm not going to allow just the Nazis to come marching back. No, 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 no. I'm going to set up some kind of oversight. But then that freaks out all his MAGA allies who are cheering him on, largely because they believed him when he said he was going to allow them to say whatever they want on Twitter. So what does he do? He tweets out some nonsense about Nancy Pelosi's husband, not actually being the victim of an assault. Utter garbage that has no truth to it whatsoever. He tweets that out just to like send a message to MAGA. Hey, don't worry. I'm going to let you come back here and put any old garbage you want on here without accountability, without oversight, despite what I told the advertisers of the world. Then when he starts getting brushed back for that, he pulls it. He's like, this is, this is like a juggling act, like just enough garbage to reassure MAGA that they can put their garbage up there, but pulls back in the hopes that the General Motors of the world will go, okay, well, he has some restraint. Meanwhile, thousands and thousands of Twitter employees are getting ready to be laid off. Folks, there's no such thing as a free market. Ultimately, someone has to pay. And in this case, I doubt that person will be Elon Musk. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my guest, the distinguished Troy LaRabier, dear friend of the show, dear friend of mine. I've known Troy now for eight years, Troy LaRabier. Wow. I uh, haven't seen you in a while, so welcome back, Cotter. It's good to see you. Good to be here, brother. How's my volume? Your volume is great. You are looking great. I just want to say this. I like your new hairstyle. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take a picture of this. I thought it was like 70s night. Uh, at the Ben Jarofsky show. But Troy, uh, how long have you had this new look? You, you're sporting an afro. Oh, shoot. Uh, I don't know, man. I've probably been growing it since the late spring. Uh, it's probably been an afro for the last, I don't know, three months. Is this any particular reason or it just... You know, it actually sort of sprang out as sort of a side consequence of something else that went down. Um, I don't know how interesting this is, but you know, you know, when my, um, 
my chin whiskers started to get gray. Uh-huh. Uh, and I've always had chin whiskers ever since I started growing them in my twenties. Uh, you know, it was, it was kind of a Malcolm X thing, you know, that Malcolm look with the mustache and the, so it was always that. So I've always sported them. And then when they started to go gray, I mean, really gray, uh, I looked and I started shaving them off. Right. I was like, I look like an old man. And I did a lot of, uh, I don't know, internal work this summer. I don't want to get in too detailed with it, but there was this one moment at the end of it all where I was just like, I was about to shave my whiskers again. And I was just like, you know what? I want to look like what I look like. Right. I just want to look like I want to be the person I am that God put on this earth. And so I let them grow back and all their grayness. Right. And then the Afro just kind of happened as like a sad consequence of this, I want to look like what I look like. Yeah. So I started letting the chin whiskers grow and then I just started letting the hair grow too. Uh, but it just started out of this sort of desire to, to, to not want to, you know, make myself look younger than I look. I want to look, I am what I am and I want to look like what I am. And the crazy thing is when I started doing it and I let them grow, people started telling me I look younger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. That was crazy. So, uh, no big, you know, uh, thing about it. It's just, just kind of a side consequence of just wanting to look like what I look like. Well, I'm with you 100% on that. And, uh, uh, you are, we are who we are. Uh, so we might, well, might as well uh, deal with that fact. Uh, and I'm not hating on people who dye their hair or whatever. I mean, if that's who you are, if it's who you want to be, okay. I'm totally free to that, but, uh, uh, I just don't have enough time to take care of trying to make myself look younger. And anyway, I love the Afro. I love the seventies. I love that look at it. It just makes me feel young. Just seeing you makes me feel young. Feel like, Oh my goodness, it's 1975. Let's go down to the lake and smoke. Uh, And listen to tower power. Uh, Is that what you were doing in 1975? Yes. And probably war was really in the war in the mid seventies. Just thought they were the coolest band of all time. Oh, war is great, man. What was your favorite war song? Oh, um, the world is, I'm not going to sing it, but the world is a ghetto. The world is a ghetto. Yeah. Yeah. I like the one was the city town country. Yeah. With the harmonica. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah I yeah. love that. Man. Had a great I love that. I love that. Uh, all right. Um, I knew we would get sidetracked on something and then we have a p- plenty of pressing business. First of all, Troy is president of the Chicago principles association should have said at the outside, I just assume all my listeners, uh, know who Troy is. Uh, and he was a school reformer long before it was fashionable. Real, so I don't even call him a school reformer, a school activist in his role as a principal, got fired for that, and then got the ultimate quote-unquote revenge. He got the principals to elect him the head of their association. <laughs> and Rama Mandel to this day is going, how did that happen? Um, I wanted to talk Kanye with you. Because the last time you're in the show, we've had many conversations about uh, Kanye. Mm-hmm. I looked through old clips of us, and we've, it's like a recurring theme. Uh, I have an obsession with him as a political character and a cultural character. Uh, and you uh, know his music and his work, uh, which right. I, cannot, I cannot pretend to know his music and work. But I have followed him as a political uh, character in a country. But before we get to Kanye, uh, Elon Musk, I, I began with Elon Musk. I just love your thoughts about this, this concept that there's free speech uh, in Twitter, 
when actually there's not free speech in Twitter. Uh, and um, the fact that in our bizarre capitalist country or a capitalist system, Elon Musk is free to overpay for something uh, and then make up for it by firing people. So people will lose their jobs because Elon Musk overpaid uh, for a company that he probably shouldn't have offered to pay for in the first place. It was a vanity purchase. Uh, it definitely wasn't worth the amount of money. Uh, he was finally forced uh, to pay for it. Any thoughts about that, Troy? Any like you, you've been a, any, any thoughts about our capitalist system or somehow or other, uh, this is considered what? Uh, free market venture, exciting business at play? Um, I actually do not have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, and I have to warn you, I, you know, sometimes we, we just kind of just go off the cuff or we just start. I have been out of it for the last couple of weeks. I have combined, I got my first case of COVID, so I fought mm. that off. Uh, and then took a group of principals to New York and we just got back yesterday. Um, so I have not necessarily been following the latest developments in that particular case. Um, just the general idea of the, the, the fact that it's not just with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, you know, all of these um, companies that have so much power over the messages we get to see and the ones we don't get to see. Um, I mean, it's already, you don't even have to like sort of guess at it. I mean, we can look at what's happened with Facebook and the Trump election, the original Trump election in 2016 and the degree to which uh, real fake news, <laughs> you know, uh, impacted people's beliefs and understandings about who he was, who Hillary Clinton was, and that all of this is flow of information is controlled by uh, multi-billion dollar corporations who have interests, right? And their interests have very little to do with the interests of the people who use their platform. Um, it is a, uh, a daunting obstacle <laughs> for anybody interested in a well-functioning democracy because well-functioning democracies uh, require well-informed people. Yeah. Um, so that's about as much as I can say. So Elon Musk uh, being one of those billionaires whose interests are not aligned with the people who use the platform that he just purchased is concerning, but it's no more concerning with the fact that um, um, Facebook founder Zuckerman, what is it? That's Zuckerman. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. Yeah. Um, you know, it's no more concerning than, than that or any of the rest of them. None of them have interest or the, the, the great majority of their interests are definitely not aligned with ours. Yeah. Uh, they don't, they don't benefit when we get good information. <laughs> well, uh, let's get to the second part. Uh, well-informed people, uh, a uh, well-functioning democracy requires well-informed people. Uh, and uh, that brings me, okay. Uh, to Kanye, uh, <laughs> to yay West. Um, <laughs> who exhibits uh, a type of uh, ignorance, in my humble opinion, that is creatively spewed. And I'm giving the benefit of the doubt here, but creatively spewed as though it's like some kind of genius. I've heard this uh, 
said to me so many times by so many different people. Well, Ben, you know, he's a genius. Kanye West is, or Ye West is a genius. Uh, and I'm like, he sounds like a lunatic to me. And I go back to the conversation we had about him in 2018 after his sit down with Trump when he was wearing a MAGA hat. And uh, he started going off on this uh, bizarre riff uh, with Trump and somehow they got to Larry Hoover. and Trump. I could, You could just tell that Trump had no idea what uh, at that point Kanye West was talking about. Jim Brown was sitting next to him, the great football player, Jim Brown, great movie actor. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, and yet Donald Trump understood that somehow or other this incoherent rant was benefiting him politically. So not only did he allow him to continue like it made sense, but Troy, he was knowingly like nodding along as though he were hearing some great truth. And I watched Tucker Carlson do the same thing in this, the more recent interview uh, from about two weeks that has sort of triggered uh, this uh, storm uh, over Ye West that the interview where he taught where, where Ye West talked about um, uh, his uh, white lives matter t-shirts and uh, how uh, George Floyd wasn't really murdered. And I, I do believe that uh, he has now become a tool of um, the MAGA movement. Uh, and I do believe that it's rooted in an ill-informed public that's willing to believe anything Kanye West spews uh, simply because he's a celebrity and they like his music. Your thoughts on all this? Oh God, I can go damn near anywhere with this. So let's just start with the, you started this with the idea that the use of the word genius, presumably to excuse what he does or to put some support behind what he does. Um, Maybe he is, maybe he is. Uh, Let's say he is. Um, there are people who argue that Trump is a genius, right? Like, if you can launch a campaign and defeat the person who was damn near expected to win that president, that office, Hillary Clinton, and defeat that campaign, uh, tap, have the insight to tap into a disease or a virus that a dormant virus that lay there sitting, lying in wait and, you know, 30, 40, 50% of the population, this divisive uh, whiteness, white supremacy, racist, prejudice virus that existed. There are people who argue that that takes a certain kind of genius. Right? And whether they're right or wrong uh, about either Trump or Kanye, um, it's almost like a non-point. So what are you using? If it is, if it's, if it's, if it's not, if it is genius, what are you using that genius for? <laughs> what are you using it? What ends does it serve? Uh, is it in the service of truth? Is it in the service of bringing people together? Is it in the service of uh, falsehood and dividing people? Uh, the age-old tactic used by, of course, billionaires. And here, of course, you actually have Kanye, who probably actually is a billionaire, and another man who claims to be a billionaire, um, using their supposed genius 
tore um, sick ends. The other thing is that people often try to excuse Kanye because they say he has a mental illness. So you, you got people saying he's a genius on one end. On the other end, you have people saying, man, you know, you got to sort of let him go because he has a mental illness. Well, it seems to be obvious to me that Trump also has a mental illness, an undiagnosed one. Uh, and yet we don't use that to excuse his behavior. If he had one, I can't see anyone using it to excuse his racist, divisive, classes, um, spewing falsehood after falsehood behavior. And if we want to use it, particularly black people, man, when they talk about Kanye, like if you're not going to, if you're going to use Trump's mental illness to excuse his behavior, don't use Ye's supposed mental illness to excuse his. Um, And so that's kind of my perspective on it. You ask mostly about this genius, but whenever I hear genius, I always see the other side of that in terms of how people defend them. There's a group that defends them as geniuses, and there's a group that defends them both as defends him as genius, and a group that defends him as uh, having a mental illness. One, make up your mind, <laughs> um, or maybe not even make up your mind, but let's look at wh- whichever one you decide with. Um, neither one of them is an excuse when you look at how you treat other geniuses, people you see as geniuses or other people you see as having mental illness. There's, there's a lack of consistency there. Uh, so be consistent. If Trump is a genius and he's still evil or sick, um, then Kanye, if he's a genius, he's still using that genius toward evil and sick ends. Yeah, I. uh, What difference does it make is the ultimate point uh, if they're using it to sick ends. And let's talk about those ends to which he's being he's using it. Kind of likes to position himself or yeah, he likes to position himself as a free man uh, who is independent. (laughs) Very similar to uh, Elon Musk, the way people throw the word freedom around. Uh, and, uh, I'm a free man. I, I don't feel the constraints that normal people feel. I speak my mind and I'm independent and liberated because of that. Uh, and so he uses that in many cases to attack, uh, black people who support Democrats as somehow or other they're not free. And he is, uh, and I'm just looking at it like you are the ultimate, uh, unfree person in that regards, because you're a tool of the Republican party right now whether you want to view it or not, you will be used to elect MAGA people, Troy, who will destroy pretty much every initiative that the civil rights movement has been moving for since Martin Luther King in the 60s. That's how you're being used right now. Right now, as we speak, Troy, there's a case before the Supreme Court that would abolish affirmative action uh, in enrollment practices at universities. And that is championed by the MAGA members of the Supreme Court. How I'd love to hear your thoughts on the notion that somehow or other he's liberated uh, because he's defending MAGA concepts. Well, we have to look at the fact that that argument is also based on some certain certain assumptions, right? Like they've gotten their talking points and they repeated them quite often. And so one of the talking points behind that that's unsaid in that statement is that somehow the Democratic Party is taking you for granted as a black person. Right. 
And so when he's saying he's free, he's free from being taken for granted, right? And so let's look at that first before we get to this conversation about free. There is no party that takes black people for granted more than Republicans. No party, right? Take for granted means you assume a certain outcome, right? It doesn't mean, it's not a positive or negative kind of thing. It's you assume a certain outcome, good or bad. And so who assumes, whose behavior shows that they assume a certain outcome for black people more? Republicans. They assume black people are going to vote Democratic, and so they create laws to stop black people from voting. Like they're taking for granted that you're not going to vote for them, and they show that you're they're taking for granted that you're not going to vote for them by making it extremely difficult for you to vote. I mean, this law in Georgia where they uh, restricted voting on Sundays was geared directly toward the fact that black churches. <laughs> come together after services on Sunday for the souls to the polls. They have a program, souls to the polls, and it's on Sundays. They don't want those black people to vote because they've taken for granted the fact that they're going to vote for a Democrat. Yeah. Nobody takes black people for granted more than Republicans. No one. And so this idea that somehow he's free from being taken for granted. And then the other thing is like the taken for granted means that they don't do anything to get your vote. That's another thing, right? That if if the party that takes you for granted says, okay, you're going to vote this way. So I'm not going to direct much attention towards you. Again, there is no party that puts as much energy into trying to get the black vote by dealing with black folks issues than Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so one it's showing that if you really look at what's happening, it's showing that the one who takes black people the least for granted are Democrats because they're always courting the black vote by dealing with issues that uh, address black people. And it shows that the party that takes black people for granted, the most are Republicans because they've taken for granted that you're not going to vote for me and vote for them. And they're showing it by trying to stop you from voting. And so when you say you freed yourself from that, right, it's based on a whole, it it all collapses when you look at the series of assumptions behind this idea of being free. I hope that makes a little sense. Um, And then when you just look at the idea of, okay, you're, you're, you freed you're a free person. What you've actually freed yourself from is evidence. <laughs> what you freed your, you freed yourself from the responsibility. When you roll with Republicans, you freed yourself from the responsibility of having evidence to back up what you say. You freed yourself from the truth. You freed yourself from having to engage in the processes that we have all determined that the scientific and academic community has come together to say, this is how we find truth. Number one being, we collect evidence. If we have assumptions, we have collect evidence to test those assumptions. And if the evidence backs up those assumptions, then, then we're a little closer to the truth. If it doesn't back up those assumptions, then we know those assumptions may be false, or we need to collect more evidence. That basic process of determining truth, that's what Kanye has freed his, himself from. 
but he's free himself to say whatever the fuck he wants to say, whether it's true or not. That's what he's free from. Wow. And, and again, I'll just go back to Elon Musk. I keep, and we'll come back to Kanye, but I just have to go back to, because what you just said about Kanye is absolutely the same thing about uh, Elon Musk and his vision of the free Twitter marketplace of ideas. He put that tweet out about Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's husband, that uh, was just blatantly false. Mm -hmm. Okay. The man was assaulted by a deranged MAGA uh, supporter. That's pretty much the police uh, account of what went down. He just took something somebody made up, put it out there. Well, this could possibly be true. You know what I'm saying? And then he pulls it back. So it's like, well, I didn't say it was true. This is so Trump. They're learning from Trump, Troy. It's, I didn't say it was true. I said it could possibly be true. You know, and then he pulls it back like, well, I pulled it back. So it's the same thing. It's <laughs> like you want to be free to say whatever you want, whether it's true or not. You don't want to have any accountability for what you're saying. Uh, and it's interesting that Elon is also in that category of genius or sick, <laughs> right? <laughs> Something's a little wrong. Something, you know, people talking about maybe Asperger's or whatever. He's got this sort of disability on these others who call him a genius, right? So it's interesting that, you know, you have these three figures who are called a genius by some who can't have, who, there is evidence to say they may have some diagnosable or undiagnosed sickness, all sort of coalescing around this idea that they can do and say whatever they want and not have to back it up. Like it's true because I said it. And we have to look at the fact that in every single instance of totalitarian dictatorship, right, the people they go after are the academics and the people who are the keepers of truth the professor, the university professors, uh, you know, you look at, I don't know, like the killing fields, you look at from the killing fields to ancient China, the people they always went after were the people who were married to the process of finding truth. The idea that you must have evidence for anything from eyewitness to DNA testimony to experiments designed to test whether or not a certain Thing causes another thing. The people who are married to those processes are always the first ones or among the first ones to be targeted, to be removed, to be imprisoned, to be jailed, or to be killed. Um, and it is the folks who are sort of in that bend today. I mean, no one's being targeted to be jailed or killed, but those processes are being targeted. The process of finding the truth is being dismissed. Mm. And they're trying to create a free-for-all where truth is just truth because a certain person said. And all three of them seem to be leaning toward that bend. Yeah. So how fearful are you, are you at this moment? I'm surrounded by so many different people uh, who are fearful. Uh, and, uh, particularly, uh, in the last week or so, uh, where, uh, Nazis embraced yay. 
and started putting those uh, banners up on the uh, highways. Honk if you agree with Kanye West. Apparently, they don't realize he changed his name. They honk if you agree with Kanye West. Or maybe they're worried that the drivers won't know who Ye West is. Whatever. Uh, they call them Kanye West. Uh, how fearful are you at this moment? We head into these midterms, which is so much hate being projected. Uh, so much anti-Jewish hate being projected, so much anti-black uh, hate being projected in weird, twisted ways. Uh, like when you use black people to project black hate, like Kanye West or Herschel Walker. Um, how fearful you are at this moment? Um, I don't know if I know how to respond to that, Ben. Um, I am concerned. <laughs> I mean, my concern is way up there. Um, I think fear is something you get to, to sit in when you're, you're not doing anything about it. <laughs> you're just thinking about it. Um, I know we have our work cut out for us. Um, that the, 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 the powerful forces who would like to have the collapse of truth, the collapse of any kind of anything resembling an informed democracy are at work day and night. And they're a lot better, frankly, at spewing and promoting uh, their version of the world as it should be than we are at promoting ours. Uh, and we have to get better. Um, I've said this before on your show that one of the things that gives so-called these right wing, right wings, right wing gives the right wing uh, the power that they have, or that is a that that the power they have as a result of this is that the right wing, uh, the left wing, likes to live their values and try to get their. They want to invest their time, their energy, and public money in the realization of their values. The right wing wants to invest their time, their money in the promotion of their values and the dissemination of their values to prop up messaging and an intellectual culture that supports what the, the type of world they want to see and the values that it's based on. Um, and they're really, they've invested a lot of time and money into creating the right messaging uh, and promotional um, sort of avenues to ensure that people believe what they want them to believe. While uh, folks on the left spend a lot more time, you know, if they believe in that the fact that we are a collective and that we should support one another and invest in our country through our tax dollars, then they promote, you know, roads and bridges and schools. The right wing promotes a set of values that make people see that activity as negative. And so they'll come up with ideas like uh, the tax, uh, the tax burden, right? That's a terminology that was specifically developed by, by conservative think tanks to put a negative spin on the idea of us coming together to collectively pay for schools, roads, and bridges, right? They develop. And so many of Democrats will even use the terminology, that terminology without even realizing. 
They're like, is it a burden when you don't, is it a burden that you have this highway? Is it a burden that you have this school, right? Is it a burden that there are at least still some places where if you don't have healthcare, you can go like the Cook County Hospital, you know, and be treated? Is that a burden, right? And if it's not, then the money we invested in is not a burden, right? Right? But we haven't packaged a set of messaging and messages and, and sort of an intellectual framework that we talk to the public with so that the public sees what I just described as what it is. Right? We'd rather just get the public hospital and we people, we need this, we need, but we don't have the messaging behind the scenes to sort of back up the intellectual need and, and the sort of the values and ethics behind that. Um, and so that question about, are you scared? Right. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I'm very concerned and, uh, it heightens in me the need for us to get serious about, about that messaging. Yeah. Uh, because we're up against so much and, uh, I, I, I appreciate your distinction between concerned and fear. Uh, are concerned and scared. And sometimes uh, and, uh, fear is a way of motivating people to behave. It seems like that seems to be um, where the Democratic Party is right now. They try to use anxiety as a motivation uh, to get people to vote in these midterms. Be very scared. You better go vote. Uh, whereas Republicans use rage, the anger. Yeah. Uh, I'm not necessarily against the idea of fear. It's just not something I feel. Um, you know, yeah, I'm definitely not against it. And so and like, you know, the kind of world that they're trying to create is a world to fear. Yeah. <laughs> it is a scary thought. You know, this is some, what is that damn show on, uh, on Netflix? Um, the handmaid's tale. Oh yeah. Crap, right. <laughs> it's some handmaid. Like they're trying to create some handmaid's tale type shit, man. Like, <laughs> That's like, that's what I think about. That's the yeah. future I see. Yeah. I, I'm not kidding you. Every single time I think about the future, if these people win, of course, I don't think it's going to be exactly like that, but it's like, I, it's toward that end, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, it's absolutely something to fear. But you asking me in terms of how I look at it, uh, it it's more of a, a deep concern and, almost a feeling of, all right, we're not adequate for the task at hand and we have to make ourselves adequate. I have to make myself adequate for the task at hand. All right. So the task at hand. So let's go back to uh, Kanye and, and MAGA and I'm going to set something up. Let's get your thoughts on this. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about this. So it is obvious to me uh, that Ye West is being used by MAGA. He's a very important instrument for them uh, to um, uh, be project white supremacist thoughts from a very powerful, uh, famous black celebrity is very reassuring to white people uh, and justifies their thoughts. So that he's very, uh, very important to them. It also feeds nihilism in the black community. Like, yeah, he's right. Both sides are just bad. I'm not going to even participate. So it's very, he's very important. Uh, but his anti-Jewish railings 
that hurts them because there's a core of conservative Jews who supports MAGA and MAGA needs those votes. Follow me on this one, Troy, in swing states. They need them in Florida. They need them in Pennsylvania. They need them in Wisconsin. Wherever there's just like a concentration of Jewish voters, and generally in a big city or suburbs, got to have some of them vote MAGA. All right? So you can't have them going off with this anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish stuff too much, which is why Tucker Carlson cut the anti-Jewish rhetoric that Kanye voiced in his interview and kept the uh, anti-black rhetoric. Okay, so that's MAGA's using Kanye. Kanye's like, you know, I think I'll just double down on the anti-Jewish stuff. Now, I believe he did that to divert attention from his anti-black message. You get what I'm saying? Well, I'm just going to make Jews the centerpiece of this thing. Take away from the George Floyd comment and the White Lives Matter T-shirts. And for whatever reason, every now and then he goes back he can't help himself, Troy. I actually follow. <laughs> I'm like following this guy right now. Every now and then he says something outrageous about George Floyd's family, which is unbelievably ridiculous. So he, he's not staying on complete point. But I believe he used the anti-Semitic stuff as a diversion uh, from the way his anti-black rhetoric was used uh, by MAGA. Your thoughts on all of this? Um, I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but if he did use it as a diversion, it would be based on the assumption that um, he needs credibility in the black community. And he saw that his George Floyd comments might damage his credibility with black people, which is almost, uh, it's like ironic given the fact that his whole, um, everything, damn everything he's done, <laughs> Um, would be damaged to his credibility with black people. You know, getting behind Trump in the first place uh, would be damaging to his credibility with black people. So, um, but maybe seeing the George Floyd comment is just stepping over a line that black people weren't willing to watch him cross. Um, so there's certainly uh, um, a logical path that would support your argument whether it's true or not, I have no idea. But, you know, Kanye is, and you can see what Kanye was. This stuff ain't surprising me at all. You can see what he was when he first came out, you know, and, and, and with, with, with the MAGA hat on and all of that. You, you could see this. Like, anyone who couldn't, you know, he reached out to me when I was running for me. Like, he reached out directly. <laughs> he had his people, uh, Call us and email us. And I'll never forget my campaign manager was like, Kanye West wants to talk to you. And I think I still have a text thread. I can't remember uh, exactly what it, but it was basically like, why in the hell would I do that? Right. And, you know, his uh, response was something like, you know, it couldn't hurt if he, he's looking to get behind a, a, camp- a campaign. There's quite a bit of, basically, we needed money at the time. And of course, Kanye's a billionaire. Having him behind the campaign would have uh, certainly put an infusion of cash that we desperately needed. And I mean, we we had a point of shutting down shop. And so it was. I was facing this question: Okay, you know, meet with this guy and accept his support, or 
close down the campaign because basically the loot that he could bring to it is the only thing that'll keep it going. And it wasn't even the thought for me. I remember telling, you know what? I might meet with him just to tell him, just to have the opportunity to tell him that, because I know people, people around billionaires and folk like that don't tell them what the fuck they need to hear. And I said, the only way I meet with this cat is to tell him how disgusting what he's doing is, how bad it is, not just for black people, but the country in general. General, and I would not accept a, a lick of support from his ass unless he came out and apologized for what he did. I don't so I began to engage in this back and forth with his uh, assistant, you know, about everything from where I was like, if we going to meet, he needs to come to my office. I'm not coming to his office. He needs to come to me. Right, stuff like that. And I think at some point they realized that this was not the guy. <laughs> and so they just disengaged, right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there was no way in hell. And I can see you were going to do a Google search for Troy LaRavier yeah. and then see that MAGA hat wearing an idiot standing next to me, right? That was not worth my integrity. It was not worth. <laughs> It's my own sense of who the hell I am. Like, you know, people talk about, and they used to say, uh, this, you know, in a, when you do a mayoral campaign, you find out who your friends are, right? When you run for office, that was it. When you run for office, you find out who your friends really are. I say, no, that might be true. My statement is when you do a, uh, when you run for political office, you find out who you are. When you run for political office, you find out if you are the person you tell people you are and you tell yourself you are. Because they are, you are constantly bombarded with choices and pressure to say and do shit that you don't believe, to accept help that you should not take, um, to water down your position so that you can get votes from this group without pissing off this group. And one of my proudest moments when it was when I when I left the campaign, when I left, I was like when I packed up and just was like, no, was that refusal to accept any kind of help from this man, despite the fact that I desperately needed it. Right. It was like, I am who I say I am. Right. Um, And so. You know, you could see it coming a mile away. I certainly saw it coming, and I didn't want to have shit to do with it. Um, he's bad for he's bad for democracy. He is a sick man. I wouldn't say he's an evil man, but he's a sick man. I think Trump is a sick man too, uh, and we don't want sick people <laughs> running our country. Wow! And uh, the reality is, uh, I've named three. In today's show, uh, well, I named two. You brought in Trump, but you, you're absolutely right to put him in the mix. But Trump, Elon Musk, and Kanye, and they're, they're uh, I put them in the same category. Uh, there's a sickness there. And the mm-hmm. fact they have so much power, especially Musk, with all that money. And, right. and, and Ye, too, with all his money, protects him to a certain degree, although he seems determined to throw it away. Uh, and, uh, and of course, Trump, with his willingness to say absolutely anything that, uh, no matter how poisonous it is, uh, to get ahead. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the fact that roughly 
close to 50% of the population supports them is a challenging moment. I'm not going to say a scary moment. I'm going to say it's a challenging moment for democracy uh, in our country today, Troy. And I, and I definitely tie the three of them together. Yay. Trump Musk, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. there are three birds of a feather and they got way too much power in my humble opinion. So it is a challenging moment uh, in our country today. Uh, Before I leave this conversation, uh, I know you say you've not been following things um, uh, very closely, but I have to ask you this. Pretty much everybody in the show gets this question. So we've just outlined the three challenges to democracy are the challenges to democracy that people like Trump, Musk, and Ye West represent. And yet this election is supposed to go to the side. All the experts are saying, well, their side is going to win in this election because people are worried about inflation. Troy, help me with this. If you have democracy as we know it in our country, on one hand, and the fact that you're paying more at the gas pump at the other. And by the way, there's no correlation whatsoever between whatever Kanye, Trump, and Musk favor and a lower price at the gas pump. Okay? Why would you choose the end of democracy as you know it? Help me out with the American people, Troy. So, um... We unfortunately live in the moment that's presented to us. Um, and again, this is about messaging, right? If I was a Democrat, uh, the Democratic National, the, the, the National Democratic Party, I would be playing the violence of January 6th in every goddamn commercial. Like, do you want this coming in your town? <laughs> right. Like, like, there just has to be some kind of, like, like, some kind of concerted attempt to show what the country will be or could be under these folks' leadership or lack of leadership, um, combined with a positive image of what it can be under the leadership of people who actually use truth and evidence and, um, facts to make decisions. We can't just talk about truth evidence as facts. There has to be a vision. There has to be something visceral that visceral in terms of what the world looks like without what we bring and what the world looks like with what we bring. Uh, And again, I just don't, some Democrats are decent at it, but for the most part, um, you know, Republicans win that. Like we make decisions based on the moment. Uh, you remember the Kerry campaign, man? It was, I mean, uh, it was just the Kerry versus Bush campaign. I mean, you had a man who took us to war <laughs> at the time over some shit that wasn't true and everybody knew. And then you had uh, this guy who was a war hero. <laughs> And, um, you know, the Republicans were able to take a simple little message about, you know, uh, him, what is the word, uh, flip-flopping. <laughs> Remember that? Yep. It was all about flip-flop, like, and dominate the messaging with this idea that this dude can't stick to a, can't, just cannot stick to um, 
you know, a position combined with that speedboat, swiftboat crap about him possibly lying about, right? And their responses are always so like fact, which is crazy. It's fact based, but they don't create a visceral reality behind the absence of those facts and the presence of those facts. It's, well, here's what the truth is. No, it, it needs, you need to be to paint a picture of what the world looks like with and without that truth. Um, and I just don't see them doing it. Uh, and I don't see it again. I don't see it here. Um, you know, inflation and gas prices, um, you know, dominate the news, uh, dominate what people, and typically whatever's going wrong, you blame the party in power. <laughs> they haven't done any halfway decent job of like addressing that. Um, uh, let alone putting a, a vision of what the world looks like with their principles running the show rather than, you know, Republicans values or lack of values running the show. It's just not hard, man. It's just not. And that's, that's it's like, you have, I think you need a Democrat who's seen Democrats have to be seen as having a set of balls. <laughs> right. Um, and they present them people. Repub- there are people who, and I, and please forgive me folks for using this terminology, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe some gendered terminology, but we, we have some of these masculine ways of presenting ourselves and then these so-called feminine ways of presenting ourselves. You know, and for whatever reason, Democrats tend to lean toward this this feminine way of presenting themselves. There's people who need that father, that sort of father energy from their party. You know, and that's typically the so-called conservatives and Republicans and people who need that sort of mother energy typically fall under. But the values we represent as Democrats or as liberals are so connected to masculine energy, right? And we could present them that way, and we don't. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, I'm not saying this is right, but we have to understand how people think and how people make decisions. People, there are people out there that need that energy from you, and Democrats refuse to give it for whatever reason. Um, you know, re- refuse to you know, name names, refuse to attack, right? Um, refuse to demean. And sometimes some of these bastards need to be attacked, demeaned, and named. Named, attacked, and demeaned. Um, not saying that's the only kind of, uh, those are just three examples of that kind of energy. Like, that. I, I will protect you. I will run, like, 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 that sometimes it's as simple as that. Um, and again, Republicans win every time when that, because we don't present people with an alternative uh, for the most part. Um, yeah, I'm one of the few people I know who's on the left who comes with that kind of image. <laughs> um, and I wish more of our politicians would come with that kind of energy get your messaging right and attack uh, because you are at war. You know, they see themselves as at war with you. You see yourselves as in negotiation with them. <laughs> no, you're at war 
when somebody's trying to take away, when someone will go through, do something like January 6th, try to take away your right to vote, right? That's war. You have to understand. And our, our, our modus operandi in terms of our messaging and how we present ourselves to the public has to show that we understand that we're at war, but we don't. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it did make sense. And I, I, I'll say this. It's, it, I'll go one step further. The Democrats are, are almost embarrassed by the alternatives they represent. And again, you've been, you have, I know you haven't been closely following politics lately, but it's at play right now with the safety act, which was a bill uh, that governor Pritzker signed that did away with cash bail. (laughs) And it was largely aimed to benefit poor people. Okay. They're under a counter attack by turning this bill, uh, that has turned this bill into something that uh, endangers the livelihood of law-abiding cities, citizens. And instead of defending their bill, the Democrats kind of pull away from that attack and try to turn the bill into something that is intent, tempted to make people safer. You get what I'm saying? They, they retreat from what it is that they took a stand for in the first place because it's not polling well. The, I don't Who knows? The focus group is saying this isn't working. We're worried. We're concerned. And so I've been watching this my whole adult life, Troy LaRavier. Uh, I've been seeing it just time and time again. The Democrats take a stand for whatever their values are, get a counterpunch from the Republicans, and then walk away from it. You follow me in there. So, and again, this is the messaging piece though, right? Like they should have known this was coming. Like no cash bail is a stupid way of naming your issue. It's almost like uh, what is it? Uh, defund the police. It's stupid. <laughs> right. Defund the police was a set of, if you look underneath them, it's a set of really good policy Proposals, depending on who's saying it. Sometimes there are people who saying it who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. But when you look at the people who really have a program that goes with that, it's like, why in the hell did you name it that? Like, a re- if you look at Republicans, right? The um, when they wanted to fund public education, they didn't name it the defund public education policy. What they call it? What did they call it? School choice, <laughs> right? Like it was a policy to defund. T- Public education, period. And divert it toward private ends. And they called it school choice. So you look at this no cash, like, what? what, what (laughs) My God. Like, you could have actually framed that. You could have actually framed it the opposite way. Because what's like, actually, (laughs) when you have cash bail, when you have cash bail, people who can afford it, if they're dangerous, can pay their way out. Right. And so you could have framed it around this sort of the not only the equity piece, but also keeping people who need to be in prison or in jail in there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly they, what you're saying. That's they're trying to do that now. You know what I mean? Well, they the, should have did that in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know yeah. you know that. I know that. I know I you know that. So. <laughs> I'm laughing. Um, you're right. If they if Democrats play the game like Republicans, they would call it the get tough on crime bill. And you know, exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no bail. Like, yeah. No bail. No bail. <laughs> like no bail. Right. Exactly. So it's not no. It's, no bail. If you just yeah. call it no bail, 
and then uh, maybe having some 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 messaging there around the judge deter- if the judge determines that you are a threat, then there's no bail for you, and that's exactly what this is. If the Absolutely. judge yeah. threat, then you yes. get no bail. Yeah. If yeah. the judge determines that you're not, then you go, <laughs> and yeah. you you can go home and await your trial. Yeah. Right. That's a very different way to message this, and it would have been very difficult for Republicans. It's just like. Oh God! What was the other one? The um, the tax one that the tax bill that failed. Oh my God! Oh please! I I, I start oh, crying every time I hear state, it. Uh, uh, equity yeah. tax. I forgot yeah. what it's called, man. Fair tax. Oh, fair tax. The fair tax. Fair tax. The yeah. way they messaged that was so horrible. They should have messaged it right. Like instead of saying, um, uh, God, how did they put it? Something like the that. Um, they, they, we will enable rich people to pay more. It should have been, we'll enable working class. It'll, so they were trying to get the power to have the state charge wealthy people more. They should have framed this as giving the power to let the state charge working people less. Yes. <laughs> They'd have done that, built, like, it's, you can't, you, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. I, no, I hear you. Tax tax, bill. But you could have called it the, the middle class tax relief bill. Yeah. But so that we're going to make the work. So we're going to have you pay a less of a share than rich folks. Are. Yeah. Not rich folks pay more of a share than you. Yeah. Like, it's just like, they just never fucking get it, man. <laughs> no, and, and also, yeah, they don't get it. And ultimately there's a perfect case because ultimately you're raising money to pay for government. And the Democrats are afraid to say that's what they're doing because in our current climate, and it's been this way your whole lifetime, Troy, your whole lifetime, you have never lived. I'm just going to say this to you. You're younger than me. I know when you were born. I know when you grew up. You have never lived in a time where the aspirational point of the Democratic Party was to talk about a collective security through fairly taxing and funding government. You've never lived that. You've lived the post-Reagan years. That's your life. That's all you know. Reagan turned government into the enemy. Bill Clinton signed on to that. Uh, Rahm Emanuel signed on to that. To one degree or another, Barack Obama signed on to that. Mm -hmm. And it's just, there's where we are. So when you put Carter in all of that, I mean, you know, he was president. I was born in the Nixon administration. Um, and I grew up with the first president I actually know being Carter. Jimmy Carter. Here's where I put Jimmy Carter, a man for whom I have tremendous love and respect. As time goes on, I have more love and respect for him. Jimmy Carter was a very pragmatic man who struggled with his conscience. Which one thing that Trump Musk and Kanye have in common, they have no conscience. They feel free. They feel entitled to say whatever they want to advance their cause. No matter how many people they hurt, no matter how many people, how many, no matter how many lives they upset. Jimmy Carter had a conscience and that ruined him politically. And that says something about America right now, Troy, that the 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 president with the greatest conscience is considered the greatest failure. I just let's 
think about that. So I think Jimmy Carter was a good man, very pragmatic man, uh, understood. He, he figured it out like he could build. He was a carpenter. So to him, putting together like a, a, a party or a, a campaign was like building a house. Very pragmatic. Follow the, 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 your planning. Follow your, uh, uh, the blueprint. And then everything after that, like he was obsessed with details because he was the carpenter. He wanted to be in charge of everything. But he realized ultimately uh, that where he was going was going to be his undoing. And it was, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. uh, And I remember the Reagan Carter election. I remember all of it. My grandparents watched TV and the news religiously. And I remember I was only 10. But I remember being afraid. I remember when Reagan won, I remember feeling like, oh, shit. I was only 10 years old. So maybe I got it from just the conversations wow. around that my grandparents were having. Yeah. But I remember a wanting Carter to win. And I remember feeling uh, like, oh, shit, we're in trouble when Reagan beat him. I remember that quite clearly. So, yeah, that's the, as, but your point was that's the, that's for the most part the, 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 the America I grew up in, the post-Reagan years, and his presidency really affected how Democrats tried to position themselves. Um, and Bill Clinton was the first example of a successful Democrat who decided he was going to take that position. And then everybody afterwards followed up until Bernie Sanders came along and said, we don't have to follow this model anymore. Yeah. And really pushed some progressive politics back into um uh, the Democratic Party and liberals in general. Yeah, and and they've been resisting that message ever since. Yeah, they, they Bernie forced them to address that message. Uh, I remember the 2016 campaign, the constant message uh, being projected from the Hillary Clinton people and the Main Street Democrats is, we can't afford the things that Bernie is talking about. So don't even put it out there, because mm-hmm. it'll never happen. So already trim your. <laughs> Already trim your sales. I mean, it was so classic Clinton, you know, and uh, again, it was bowing to Reagan. And so that's all you've known. I always think you're younger than you are, but you're still a young man compared to me. I very, because <laughs> I didn't realize you were quote unquote that old when uh, Reagan was elected. Uh, yep. you, uh, 10. Uh, 10, which is still <laughs> amazing. That's what, and that was when Reagan. Reagan in that uh, in the debate said, are you better off? The only question you have to answer is, are you better off than you were four years ago? Which is so cynical, absolutely cynical as a question. And the Democrats go, oh, my God, he's brilliant. He's a genius. That word again, Troy, genius. He's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, the Democrats do the. I say this all the time in the show, Troy, if the, if the roles are reversed, Democrats will be talking about high gas prices even though they know there's absolutely nothing they would be able to do really to bring the gas prices down until the gas providers who (laughs) decide to bring it down. So by a hook or crook. Uh, And so, yeah, very cynical times. Ronald Reagan unleashed that and we've all lived under it. I'll close with this. Have you seen punch nine yet? I have not. I saw the trailer and I damn near cry. So I got to go see it. Well, I would love for you to go see it and bring you back in the show to talk about it. Uh, it's, it's, I believe it's mandatory viewing for the people in the city of Chicago, particularly as we head into uh, another election. 
and another mayoral election, which is, believe it or not, Troy, right around the corner. Can you believe that four years have flown uh, yeah. so fast? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it does seem a little, it seems like she just got elected two years ago. And in other ways, it seems like she was elected 16 years ago. Because yeah. <laughs> this has been a hell of a four years. Hell of a four years in the city of Chicago. And uh, I'll tell you what, I, I'll close with this one, uh, Troy. This one is just so rare. I talk about it all the time on the show. Uh, Lori Lightfoot is trying to reposition herself as a tough on law and order mayor. So anybody who runs at her, even vaguely from the left, immediately gets categorized as a defund the police champion. So that's what she did to Arnie Duncan, got him out of the race. Uh, that's what she's doing to Brandon Johnson. Now, if Jesus Garcia jumps in, she'll do that to him. Uh, she'll do that to Cam Buckner. Anybody she thinks is coming at her from the left. She'll do that. Meantime, the Republicans are using her image to scare, uh, white people into voting for Darren, Darren Bailey. I'm like, (laughs) this is insane. Troy LaRavier. Do you follow me? It's like, Everybody's drinking the poison and the toxins and spewing it out. And we pay the price for it. So um, it's hard not to be scared, but I'm going to take your word of advice that I'm not going to be scared. What's the word that you, what was the word that you used instead of fear? I would just say concerned and motivated. All right, uh, it's yeah. definitely some motivation to get our act together. All right. Uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to you at all about your trip to New York, which sounds like a fascinating trip. Uh, You did that uh, in your day job, your real job. Your real job is not to talk to me about politics. Uh, Elon Musk, Ye West, and Donald Trump, your real job is to uh, run the Chicago Principals Association. But you are of initiative. You went to New York, uh, and you're pushing the notion that uh, teach uh, the principals should also have collective bargaining rights. And I support you hundred yeah. percent in that. Uh, so I, why shouldn't they have collective bargaining rights? I, I, yeah, we, we went because they have bargaining rights. Principals have bargaining rights in New York. Uh, and we want them here in Chicago. They have bargaining rights in, uh, most democratically run states and cities. Uh, Chicago is one of the few where we don't, we have a union, but that union, uh, the district we work for, is not legally required to recognize our union the way they are in other states. And so when we push for these rights, um, many in the corporate uh, community, you know, the civic, the civic committee, the Chicago public education fund, all these corporate folks who like to keep their thumb on public education started spreading these, um, a lot of falsehoods and false talking points about what bargaining rights would do with principles. And so, to counteract them, I took principals to New York so they can see what bargaining. And they, I mean, it was a revelation for everyone involved. Hopefully we can talk about it another time. I know you're running low on time. So, but it was an absolute revelation in terms of the, the influence that principals have and how they use it in New York to get their schools and their students the things that they need from their district. It was absolutely incredible. All right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll dedicate a show to that. Uh, because I do believe it's time uh, we sort of shake up the dynamic of education in Chicago and the way principals 
are used uh, to support the initiatives, whatever they be, of the mayor of the city of Chicago. That's traditionally the role principals have been required to play. Uh, and I think collective bargaining is one step in the right direction. First of all, they have collective bargaining rights. I believe in that as a principle. But secondly, I just think as pragmatically, it's just, it hasn't really worked to the benefit of the school children of Chicago uh, to have principles as tools of a mayor. And uh, so if you can change that dynamic or have them tools of corporate Chicago, you know, right. and, uh, either way, same thing. That's it, because that's who runs the mayor, corporate Chicago. Yeah. For now. For now. Uh, all right. And that's another conversation, the mayor's race. So a lot to talk about with Troy LaRavier. And uh, so thank you very much, Troy, for taking the time coming on the show. And uh, you're the only man in the world who gets younger looking with the years. Uh, thanks to that new Afro, you're looking very good. Uh, you look healthy and you sound healthy. So you got the secret sauce, man. I'm going to start drinking it. All right. Thanks, brother. Peace to you and peace to my good brother, Dennis. Be nice. I haven't heard your voice at all today, man. Always good to see you. And uh, I know you're back there taking care of stuff with production. Great to see you, brother. And thank you, uh, Ben. Always appreciate it. And we got to go. You know, Ben, we've known each other for a long time. But we have only gone out once. We went out uh, to that restaurant near my school and we talked for damn near three hours, maybe four. Uh, and we haven't gone out since, man. That was like eight years ago. We got to go out again, brother. All right. Well, t- I got Bulls tickets. I'll take you to a Bulls game. How about that? They're up in the Let's third. Do it. Let's do it. Up in the third balcony. <laughs> That's where I am. So if you think you're going first row, uh-uh. Uh, but uh, I will definitely uh, reach out to you. We'll do that. Absolutely. We had three hours, a three-hour conversation, man. We'd still be sitting there if they didn't kick us out of that coffee shop. <laughs> Uh, Troy LaRabier, thank you very much. That's the great Troy LaRabier. And yes, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. Uh, and as Troy will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D now stands for Daddy. Yes, he's a daddy. Dr. D, the D stands for Daddy. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash, and use that money to buy that kid some diapers. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>